Hello and welcome back to Freedom Machines with Freddie Dobbs. Today, well, for the past eight days, I don't know where time goes. I think the last podcast episode I did, I was at my parents' house speaking just north of London. And today I'm in my partner Monica's flat in Ipswich, which is a... It's not quite a coastal town, but it's to the east coast or on the east coast of England. Been here for about eight days. Tomorrow is my final day in Ipswich. So I wanted to squeeze in a podcast episode while I'm here. And I had a lot of interesting chats this week about a range of stuff and a lot of stuff that I find quite eye-opening about biking and also a few really good tips about some products that I'd never really considered. And I'll start off with an interesting point because, and I'm guilty of this, and I know I've said it in podcasts before, but when you're looking for a motorbike or a car, you can often get kind of blinkered on. When you see something you absolutely love, you don't you don't think about the running costs, the maintenance costs, things like that. And often you can get blindsided a bit when you get your first service. And I, I know of this after having an expensive car. And I had, I had an ex-Triumph Rocket owner very kindly contacted me just to give me a bit of insight into some of the standard costs of having a beast of a bike like the 2.3 litre Triumph Rocket. And have a listen to this. Basically, the owner now doesn't have the bike. Uh, I think, if my memory's right, I think he's got a Speedmaster now. I'm sure he does because he was was basically saying, if you're looking at the Speedmaster or the Triumph Rocket, this is an important thing to bear in mind because the Speedmaster's tyres are perfectly reasonable. But the Triumph Rocket's tyres, £300 for a rear tyre, £300 for a rear tyre that he had to replace every three and a half thousand miles. That is eye-watering and also eye-opening. Just thought I'd give you that little insight just to kind of, you know, show you what it's like. You know, these, these big bikes, they are more expensive in every single element. And I did a YouTube video that was launched about a week ago or so. And I mentioned my security setup for my Bonneville. And I said that, especially living in London, I always have a motorcycle padlock and a disc lock. So the disc lock will go onto the front disc and the padlock will go onto the back wheel, usually chained to a post or something like that. And while one of my, none of my bikes have ever been stolen, I've had many attempted thefts. But if I'm completely honest, a large reason why potentially I haven't ever had a bike stolen is because my bike's usually one of the cheapest bikes in a lineup if if I'm parking in London, for example. And I had quite a few owners contacting me with their recommendations for motorbike security. And a big one that I'd never considered is this. Whatever padlock you use, keep the lock off the ground. And I couldn't get my head around this initially, so a few people messaged me to explain why. If you lock your your motorbike up, hook the rear wheel through and then padlock it up. If you put the padlock at the top of the bike, so 
it's for example resting on the seat of the bike or even resting on the side of the bike but in a position where the padlock can't touch the ground that makes it infinitely more difficult to motorbike thieves to smash or drill the lock off because they need a solid grounding to be able to put the padlock onto the concrete floor whatever floor it is and then start smashing it or drilling it into the floor they need a solid base but if you get rid of that solid base you make it infinitely harder for the bike to be stolen and I've had and I've saved the most common three answers I've had three different bike locks that seem to be more popular than any other for bikers and again please do let me know if you've got another one you'd recommend my email dob.bs at outlook.com or just pop onto my website freddydobs.com or instagram at dob.bs and send me a message or a recommendation but these are the three the three motorbike locks that got more recommendations from bikers than any others and the first one a company, and I think it's actually a British company, this. It's called Light Lock, L-I-T-E Lock. And it looks unlike any other motorcycle lock that I've ever seen. It looks almost like a very big, thick rubber band. It costs £140. It's recommended by the British police. It's got a silver rating. Be completely honest, I have no idea what that means, but it looks it's got a good rec it's got good recommendations. It's got four and a half out of five stars on Trust Pilot, and it is specifically designed for motorcycles. It says here, secure due, due to the composite nature of our Boa Flex Core strap and virtually indestructible hardened steel alloy lock body light lock one moto can withstand sustained attack by the most common theft tools such as bolt cutters crowbars and hacksaws it also folds up into quite a nice a neat little circular shape i will I'll be considering that. It's 1.5 kilos, which actually is quite light. I think mine are often about 5 kilos, my locks. So that's good at 140 quid. Another one, Kryptonite New York Lock. Now, this is a much more traditional lock, bolt, and chain. And it comes in, in fact, actually, it's 190 pounds. But if you go on to bikeparts.co.uk, I'm looking now, you can get one. For 124 pounds it's on sale so that's that's extremely good value 124 pounds it comes with a 150 centimeter chain with the padlock and it's got the words kryptonite kryptonite new york lock on it it's yeah it looks it looks solid it's a, approved to thatcham cat 3 and it is also approved to gold sold secure standard yeah and i'm looking at all of the reviews now and it's got from 86 reviews 4.8 out of 5 stars 72 5 star reviews and 14 4 star reviews and no 1 2 or 3 star reviews so People actually reviewing it, owners, owners actually reviewing it, give it extremely high scores. And the final one I'd like to recommend, 
And just so you know, I've never tried any of these locks. This is purely coming from other bikers' recommendations. This is another British company, Oxford, and their Monster Lock. Now, this is an MCN five-star rated lock, the highest score that MCN give, that's Motorcycle News, and it's sold secure Motorcycle Gold Standard Lock. Looks the absolute business, that one. In fact, I was looking. That's good. That's the Oxford Monster Lock. Looks great. There's another one that's just come out, and it's called the Oxford Beast Lock. And this is the most hardcore heavy-duty looking lock I've ever seen. It's got 25 five-star reviews, and I've never seen a bike lock like it. Looks like it must weigh about 15 kilo. Okay, I've just seen it weighs 3.6 kilos, so ignore that. I get carried away sometimes. It weighs 3.6 kilos, but... That's 3.6 kilos just for the lock. It doesn't come with a chain. You have to buy that separately. That is a ridiculously heavy duty looking lock. And it's the type of lock that will be very good if you live in a garage or a bike lockup, or if you have your bike in a bike lockup and you use one of those, because I would say that is very, very close to being indestructible. It's so big. And I move on to something amazing that I saw earlier in the week from the Ipswich Marina. And that is a Honda Super Cub. 20, I think it's 2020 was the reg on it. So one year old. It's the first ever new Honda Cub, Honda Super Cub that I've ever seen in the flesh. I've seen plenty of the old school ones, but I've never seen one of the new ones in the flesh. And hand on heart, when I saw this bike, I got as excited as if I would see a Ford Mustang. I almost freaked out. It looks absolutely stunning. It's very, very rare that if you get uh, a reincarnation of a classic, that they stay so, so true to the original. Usually they're, they're, they're kind of they're inflated size-wise, and they, they just lose a bit of that original character. But that is not the case with this. This brand new Honda Super Cub, Honda Cub, is absolutely beautiful. It's got all... Ooh, got a reminder saying go to Sainsbury's. Got to pick up an accessory for a bike. But it's got... Where were we? The Cub. It's got all of the charm of the original, just with a very slightly updated look in the most subtle way possible. And I, I love stories like this because I had an ex-Honda C90 Cub owner contact me. And that's probably, I guess they run anything from the, the 80s all the way up until the 2010 or so. That's the 90cc bike. And he said to me, honestly, it's the most fun, best bike I've ever, oh, sorry, it's the most fun I've ever had on a motorbike, which proves... It's not about the speed with the bikes. It's just about that pure riding pleasure. And you can get that riding pleasure regardless of CC. I remember with the Mutt 250 that I tried, I've never had so much fun on a bike. Or I remember going to Bali and getting these tiny one, 150cc Honda scooters riding around the islands. Never had so much fun on a bike. It's all about the thrill of riding as opposed to the horsepower. And this owner said that he rode from Nottingham to John O'Groats. That is John O'Groats in the far south of Scotland, right up, far south of Scotland, far north of Scotland, right up at the very top. So he rode from John O'Groats 
from Nottingham, sorry, to John O'Groats, then back down to Perth, but his friend's engine blew up. And I assume his friend had a Honda Cub as well. His friend's engine blew up, but they averaged about 300 miles a day, which took about 10 hours a day on the bike. And he said he wishes he could do it again. I, I just love that story. Proves bikes can do anything, apart from the one that blew up, of course. And I love this. I don't know why. It's certain bikes, they just bring that nostalgia out. This is another brilliant one. People were, were really interested in the Honda Cub that I saw earlier in the week. Uh, someone else message. This is brilliant. One of, I think this is from YouTube, someone who saw the YouTube video. They spend five months a year in Japan, right up in the northern part of Japan in the mountains, where they get two meters of snow a year. And the Honda Cubs there are actually used for postal workers. So listen to this. Hi, Freddie. I, I've live, or I live in Japan for approximately five months of the year. I'm up in the north in the mountains. And in the winter, we get very deep snow, two meters plus. Every day, without fail, the Japanese postal workers are out delivering on their Honda Super Cubs. It's great to see them with snow chains on going about their business. Fantastic bikes. Oh, wow. I'll just imagine that up in the little Japanese villages, these Honda Cubs with snow chains. Well, that wouldn't be allowed with health and safety in the UK. I'm amazed. I'm just, that's, I've got a brilliant image in my head seeing those bikes with snow chains riding on the winding snowy roads that that's oh, that's very special very very special and i had a question i had a question from i think this was instagram someone said freddie what do you think suzuki bandit future classic or not and this is an interesting point because whether it's cars or motorbikes Every single, and I'm just going to get up biketrader.co.uk, every car and motorbike, if it's, if it's special or it's got something kind of, it, it's got a really nice link to the past, it's, it's got something special or something nostalgic about it, then there's every chance it's going to be a classic. Doesn't work with all vehicles, and of course it's really hard to tell wh whether it's a car or bike, what is going to be an appreciating classic. And I, I agree with this person who messaged me, querying, do you think it will be a, a future classic? Because I, I really do think the Suzuki Bandits will be a future classic. And if you look at a few, a few, let's let's say cars, because I was initially interested in cars and then moved over to bikes at about the age of 25. Up until then, it was all about cars for me. And it's always the vehicles that were kind of the every man or the every woman vehicle that become really popular. For example, if you look at the Peugeot 205 GTI, I remember when I was growing up, that was one of the cars to have, and you could buy one for £700. Well, I looked three days ago to see what a good example with 80,000 miles would cost. £16,000. If you look at Vauxhall Novas, if you look at a sporty one now, you're going to be paying about £8,000, whereas 15 years ago, you'd be looking at about eight. Hundred pounds. The list could go on and on. 
Ford Fiesta RS turbos or Ford Escort RS turbos, you're looking at a minimum now, really something like 15,000 pounds. Whereas you could pick one up for under a grand, take your pick 10, 15 years ago. And with motorbikes, the same happens. It, it's not quite as widespread or lucrative always as cars, but the Suzuki Bandit ticks that box. It it was, it is, an every man or woman's motorbike that was attainable for the masses and it has that nostalgic feel. It will take a lot of riders right back to their childhoods or their youths or their early riding experiences. And I used to have a Suzuki Bandit 600. The desirable one out of the entire Suzuki Bandit range. If you're going to look for a, a future classic, I really, really think this is one to watch because all these vehicles, they all drop to completely worthless where absolutely no one would even go anywhere near them. No one would touch them. They go through that phase. It happened with the cars that I've just mentioned. Let's say I had, well, I had a Vauxhall Nova as well. Completely worthless. No one wanted it. It will go through that worthless period often for about 10 to 12 years. But then all of a sudden it will start rising in value. And then for two to three years after its worthless period, it will start getting up to the three to four K mark. And after it's reached that three to four K mark, and less of those vehicles are on the road, it will start going into the stratosphere. Of course, it has to be a certain vehicle that has that nostalgic element to it. But if you can be lucky enough or skillful enough to pick that vehicle, you are onto an absolute winner that will only keep increasing. And the, the sweet spot for the bandits, the must-haves, are the original air-cooled bandits. Now, the real must-have is the one that I didn't have. It's the 1200 bandit. What I'm going to do first is look at the original Suzuki Bandit 600. See, because they came in two flavors, the 600 and the 1200. If you get a Mark One of the 600 or the 1200 after that they become the 650 or 1250 you need to get the mark ones if i have a look at the mark one 600 cc bandit this is not as desirable as the 1200 but let's see how they are because i bought mine two and a half years ago actually wow time flies i've had my bonneville two and a half years and i had the bandit just before that so it's three and a half years ago i bought mine three and a half years ago for 820 pounds and i'm now an auto trader and the cheapest suzuki bandit 600 cc on auto trader on bike trader is 1200 pounds and the most expensive 600 cc suzuki bandit is 1900 pounds so they're still in that affordable range but they are going up i'm looking now it's very interesting. They're going up. <clears throat> they will drop in value. Wait until the winter if you can, and they will drop in value. But let's say, for example, the naked ones will be the more appealing ones. But it's very interesting, even the 600 bandits. Now, I'm looking at a, a nice condition one, 25,000 miles, black, really nice and black. They suit it very well, 2,000 pounds they're 80 horsepower the bandits and i always say it and i always will back it up 80 horsepower 
on a motorbike will mean that nothing will leave you on the roads. I did some touring. I went to Holland with friends. I did the Lake District with friends on Suzuki Bandit. One of my friends had a Honda CBR. Another had a Triumph Street Triple. I, I rode with some decently fast bikes and nothing, nothing could overtake the bandits. They are superb. 600cc bandit, 80 horsepower. Nothing will leave you and it is just as fun as any bike I have ever ridden on the roads. But they're going up in value. I really think that if we're having this conversation in two years time, they're going to be three and a half thousand pounds minimum, even for a 600cc bandit. Now let's have a look at the 1200s. The cheapest 1200cc Suzuki Bandit that I can see right now online is £2,400 for the cheapest one and the most expensive 1200cc Suzuki Bandit is now £4,000 do you know what that they're still just about affordable if you can pick one up for £2,400 it's still okay actually for a bike that I really do think will become a classic okay the the naked ones the ones without any plastic fairings will probably be just about slightly more slightly more collectible you can get a, a really nice looking one nice looking one for three thousand pounds they're 96 horsepower these these are animals of bikes 1200 cc engines yeah, the naked ones start coming in at around three thousand, three thousand pounds, and you will get, you get a lovely naked one, lovely one. Again, wait till the winter, you'll pick up a good condition one. I said, oh, they're good bikes. When I look at them, I just think that is a really handsome, really handsome looking bike. But I move on, and that is to something that took me five years, five years to figure out. In fact, that's a lie. It took me it took me eight years and five motorbikes to figure out. Listen to this as as a message someone sent me. Okay, here we go. I took my bike test when I lived in California a few years ago. Never did anything with it. Did my direct access last year and have purchased a Honda NC750X on a bit of a whim. It's getting me out and about on two wheels, and of course, every ride's an adventure. I don't think it's really me, to be honest, but I'm navigating my way through that journey. I'm on the verge of getting a Triumph Tiger, or I was on the verge of getting a Tiger last year, um, and may go that way. This is interesting, because a lot of people have this problem, including myself. Well, it's not a problem, it's part of the journey, and it's an interesting journey. The journey of finding the bike that suits you best. The journey of finding your kind of motorbike. How long does it take? What's involved in the journey? And how do you, how do you figure out your dream bike? Because I've said it before, but my first bike was a Honda CB500 absolute classic courier commuter bike uh do you know what i bought it having no idea how to figure out what type of bike mine is you know is my style what bike's cool bought it thinking it's cool but then i realized after and this is painful after two weeks it wasn't my kind of bike 
Moved on from that to a Suzuki RF600, which is a bike I thought was a super cool sports bike. I then realized it wasn't a super cool sports bike and it didn't have a great reputation. And then I realized it wasn't me. Sold that about a year later. So I had my Honda CB for about two months, lost about 600 pounds in it because I was so desperate to sell. The story of my life, losing money on every vehicle. Moved on to a Suzuki RF600. Had that for about eight months, sold it for a ludicrously low amount of money and I bought the bike that I really thought was me and that was the Triumph Speed Triple. I had that for five years thinking that spot on me then realized actually you know what it's no longer me it's not my kind of bike but I went into financial difficulty sold it bought a 800 pound Suzuki Bandit. Loved the bike but it wasn't me until finally took out a loan and I bought a bike that was the first bike ever that I felt was me and that is a Triumph Bonneville and the reason that the Triumph Bonneville is the first bike that I've ever had that I thought really is me is because it's the lifestyle style of bike I've always wanted a bike that you you feel like it's the kind of bike that you can wear cool looking clothes on the bike, jump off the bike and just wear the same clothes jumping off it. A lifestyle kind of bike that can just be a viable mode of transport that you can wear. You can just wear cool stuff. You don't feel like you need to get constantly leathered up. A, a bike that looks good anywhere, that isn't aggressive, it's relaxed, it's a genuine enjoyable relaxing mode of transport and the Bonneville is the first bike I've ever had that's been me and it took me eight years to figure that out and it took me five bikes it was the fifth bike the Bonneville until I finally figured out my kind of bike so I absolutely get that it's hard it's hard kind of if you if you try and recommend someone you know what bike should I go for I guess everyone will go on that journey what's their dream kind of bike the modern classics fit me well because I like relaxed chilled out vibe bikes that just lend themselves to coffee shop run they've got to be comfortable for a pillion on the back you can get the panniers on easily they've got that classic timeless style that's the kind of bike that suits me it took me a long time to figure it out but what a fun journey trying to do it and you know I hear a lot of people saying you know they're going from sports bikes to Harleys or they're going from uh, this or that it seems it seems that everyone goes on their journey, everyone. And where you end up, you know, will be very different from where you started on bikes, depending on if your tastes change or if even if you just get older, your your taste in bikes just change. And I guess that's the amazing thing about bikes. There's so many different choices, so many different flavors, and they're all, relatively speaking, accessible financially. I had, let me see if I can find this. Here we go. Oh, this is exciting because... Someone said to me, Freddie, what do you think of a bike I'm considering? I think we were talking about cruisers, Harleys and things like that. And then, and then this person messaged me and said, what do you think about the Honda? And remember this name, because I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't know this name of bike. And often if you don't know the name of bike, you will never know it existed. Because if you go searching on eBay or Autotrader or whatever country you're in, whatever, whatever bike platform you look at to buy a bike, it's very difficult to look for a bike if you don't know a, a rough idea of the bike names that you're looking for. So remember this name, Honda VT750. Honda VT750, because he said, Freddie, I'm considering this. What do you think about it? So I put it into Google. Wow, this is an amazing 
looking cruiser from Honda. It is, of course, a 750cc, just really good looking cruiser. And look at this, the price, the starting price, bear in mind we're at the absolute peak of summer, so it's the most expensive this bike will ever be, £3,490 for a Honda VT750. Um, I think, just looking at it, it's also called the Honda Shadow, which I didn't know about. But type in Honda VT750, you'll find them more in the searches. And they look absolutely brilliant. They also look ripe for some cruising. I've found one here from a dealership. So it's from a dealership. So it will be legit and it will be pretty good quality. It's got those pulled back bars like on the Speedmaster. This comes in all black, chromed engine, great looking chunky front forks, comfy looking rear seat with a low down rear fender that kind of sweeps back a little bit like a Harley Softail Deluxe. To, £3,490, 750cc engine, 44 horsepower, lovely amount of horsepower for a cruiser. And you know what? If I, if I was looking for a bike, I'd very seriously consider one of these. They've got that great Speedo that's actually on the tank. The Speedo isn't on the handlebars, but it's on the tank. It looks absolutely superb. Three and a half thousand. I'll just give you some other ideas about what else is out there. Three and a half thousand. If you want one from 2010 onwards, they'll just be a little bit more environmentally friendly. And the only reason I say that is so, for example, if you ride in London, um, you won't need to pay any uh, any fines for riding one of the older, less economical vehicles. Get one for a 2011 model, again from a dealer, £4,690. Spoked wheels, 3,700 miles for a 750cc cruiser in black, chromed engine, £4,600. Tell you what, if I knew these existed, if I knew these existed when I bought... It's almost painful to say when I bought the Bonneville, this would be in the shortlist. Stunning, absolutely stunning. Have a look at those if you're on the market for a good value cruiser. Superb. And I have, oh, perfect, perfect timing. 29 minutes and 59 seconds. Perfect place to wrap it up. Thank you so much for staying with me for this week's episode. I will see you in the next one. Please do, if you have any questions, you can email me dob.bs at outlook.com. You can message me through my website, freddydobbs.com. Just making sure my mind that's right. Yep, freddydobbs.com. Or send me an Instagram message. I'm at dob.bs. And keep an eye out for my YouTube channel as well, which is just Freddy Dobbs. Thank you so much for staying with me today and have a brilliant week all.